Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. It is a touchy time in our country right now. Back in 1999, I preached a sermon called The Fitting Word. I said then that proclaiming the gospel is speaking the right word at the right time and in the right way. Figure out what is true, say it at the right time, and say it in a way that can be heard. That's my prayer for the sermon today. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth be true, be timely, and be helpful. Amen. Before Christmas, a friend told me that he wanted to hear positive and hopeful news. He knows that we're in a pandemic and that we need to do what we need to do to stay safe, but he wanted to think about other things than simply living with this lurking virus. When he said that, it struck me because I was already there. When he said that, I was way past thinking about what we had to do to adapt to the pandemic, and, and I was thinking ahead, uh, what was ahead for my family, what was ahead for this church. I've been through enough in life to have learned that it's important not to get stuck in a moment. When things are going great, don't get stuck into thinking that everything's always going to be all right, and when things are rough, Don't get stuck into thinking that it's not going to get better. As far as the pandemic is concerned, things are going to get better. That does not mean, of course, easing up on restrictions. Today is not that day. As health professionals predicted, we are now seeing record numbers of infections and deaths. But what is also happening right now is that vaccines are being distributed and administered. And whatever the logistical problems are, and no matter how it could be done better, the vaccinations will only accelerate, and at some point we will see infection rates drop, and at some point after that, the restrictions will be lifted. And with that being my conviction... And with the question of our Advent sermon series still in my mind and heart, why wait, I decided that I would preach sermons at the beginning of 2021 that would focus on how followers of Jesus can find purpose and meaning and joy, whatever the circumstances of the day. Today, this morning, I'm sticking with that plan. Even given the disturbing news of this past week, That does not mean I will ignore what we've been through as a nation since Wednesday. It cannot be ignored. We all saw the chaos of some incited protesters becoming rioters and breaking into our Capitol building, resulting in five deaths. Order was restored. And since then, we have heard heated debates about what happened, 
who we are to hold responsible, and not only how to restore order, but how to maintain order. Well, I am what Jen Brothers will become at 4 o'clock this afternoon, an ordained minister of word and sacrament. I am not a political commentator. Well, actually, I am a political commentator on my own time. You should hear Millie and me sometimes. We sound like co-hosts on the Anderson News Network. But when I stand in this pulpit, I do so not as an advocate for a political party or even as a citizen of a country, as a follower of Jesus. My ultimate allegiance is to God's realm. And in that role today, I want to step back, not step away because what's going on in our country cannot be ignored, but step back in a Sabbath moment way to try to get some theological and biblical perspective before tomorrow hits and we all go back to trying to figure out what is going on, who needs to be held accountable, and what needs to be done. And in stepping back, I want us to think about order. As I did with happiness last week, I want to distinguish the sort of order that is imposed on us from the outside and the sort of order that begins within. And I want to ask the same kind of question I asked of happiness last Sunday. Is it possible to know an inner calm even when surrounded by chaos? So, just for a while, let's turn off the voices of whatever media we tune into for information and perspective, and let's listen for the Word of God. Hear first this passage from Genesis, and a little later, a story from the Gospel of Mark. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the heavens. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. And God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And the passage goes on from there. There are four other days. Did you hear what happened? Talk about words having consequences. We saw this past week in our nation's capital how words can inspire chaos. Well, our Genesis passage tells of God's words bringing order out of chaos. You heard it. 
God said, let there be, and suddenly the waters recede so that land can appear. Light pierces the darkness, and life beyond chaos then begins. This passage about chaos is echoed in our passage from Mark, where Jesus' words have consequences. Listen for the ordering and life-changing word of God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke into pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the God Most High? I abjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine were feeding, and an unclean spirit begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd, numbering around 2,000, and they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and toted in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might go with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A man possessed by demons has disrupted the order and peace of a town. Now, efforts have been made to restrain him. He has been chained and shackled. But the broken chains and shackles show that the efforts to constrain this powerful man have not worked. Were the townspeople wrong to try? Well, with no other evidence than that this man seems a danger to himself and others, I would say the answer is no. Now, I don't know if there was something better that they could have done. I mean, if this story were being told today, we might have a debate about whether excessive force has been used. Maybe the de-escalating efforts of a therapist or social worker or pastor might have worked better. We don't know if they could have done better. But what we do know in general, what we know philosophically, what we know theologically, at least those of us who are not anarchists, 
What we know is that every community of any size needs to have some kind of imposed order. We Presbyterians have good theology to back this up. John Calvin agreed with Martin Luther in saying that the law, which exists for the sake of order, has a negative use. Now, Luther and Calvin did not mean negative in the sense of being bad, but rather in the sense that the law has this restraining function. There is a no, don't do that, don't cross this line spirit to the law. This restraining spirit of the law is what makes life together possible. Good law constrains the worst of us to free the best of us. And it defends the rights of those who cannot defend themselves alone, the powerless, the poor. Law is always necessary to maintain order in this world. Now, of course, not all versions of law and order are equal. Just because some version of imposed order is necessary doesn't mean that every imposed order is good. Though we can have high ideals about the law and what it can do, and we should always strive for that, we should guard against the worst that the law can become. I mean, think of dictatorships and fascist governments and the oppressive order that they imposed. Think of Jim Crow order imposed in the South. Think of rules and regulations in our country that actually work against the common good. Think of any order that grossly benefits the selfish interests of the few in power. We can go back to our passage to see an impressive order. When we look at this man who is possessed by demons, we see chaos, but we also see order. This man's life is in chaos, but the demonic forces that have taken over his thinking and his life Well, they have things just the way that they want them. They thrive within the life of this man that they manipulate to do their will. And that's why when they see Jesus approach them, they beg Jesus to leave them. He's going to mess up what they've got going. Whatever it is that Jesus represents, whatever truth that Jesus has to tell, whatever light that Jesus has to bring, Well, that's a threat to these demons which have taken over this man's mind and heart and life. Leave us, they beg Jesus. Leave us, they beg of all that Jesus represents. Leave us, in other words, they beg of selfless love that sacrifices for the sake of others, of God's justice that defends the powerless, of God's mercy and kindness that refuses to return evil for evil, of God's truth that undercuts demonic ideology, of God's reconciliation where revenge has no place and where there is no winning without healing. They want none of that. But of course, Jesus doesn't go anywhere. What happens next is what happened at creation. The God in Jesus speaks, and order is brought to the chaos of this man's life. The man is freed of those demons that have been doing the thinking and the acting for him. As the passage describes it, he becomes clothed, which is a way of saying he has had his dignity restored. He becomes calm. 
and he comes to his right mind, he is able to think for himself again. There's an interesting side note here. Demonic powers that take over people's thinking and actions. I mean, think of ideologies that twist truths for singular aims. Think of personality cults where followers lose their identity in the Messiah. It turns out that these demonic powers that are in our world, they're infectious. These demons come out of the man and then infect nearly every pig around, and the result is violence. The pigs rush mindlessly to their deaths. Let's go back to the man. The text says he is calm. Order has been restored within him. Remember what I said that John Calvin described even good law as negative in its function of restraining evil doing? Well, when he said that, he wasn't through talking about the law because he went on to say that the law can have a positive and encouraging force. It's a law that begins within. It is, Calvin said, this inner compulsion, a compulsion to do what is right because it is right. A compulsion to treat others with respect and dignity because that's what love does. And Calvin believed that this compulsion comes from God. It comes from some kind of conversion where one is reshaped within. He calls it the law of God's love. I think that many who are not Christian, but who are moral and ethical, would agree with what Calvin is saying, even if they don't trace the source back to God. And they might agree that communities are best served when they are led by people who have this internal sense of moral order that then reshapes the law that is then imposed upon the community. These leaders begin with this inner compulsion to promote human dignity, to demand justice while showing mercy, and those who can keep their self-interest in check so as to promote the greater good. A good system of external law, the imposed upon a people type of law, that good system, I think, is first crafted by leaders who begin with this ordered inner life. Let's go back to the story of the passage. When the townspeople come and they see the man dressed, calm, in his right mind, look at how they respond. They are Spooked. As the demons did, they begged Jesus to leave. Hmm. Maybe whatever law and order they were trying to protect when they first shackled this man is also threatened by the presence of God's kind of order. I mean, it would not surprise me if the demonic possession of the man did not come to him from within the town. Dysfunction in a family might be manageable until a member of the family starts acting out. Dysfunction in a political movement might be manageable until those who have been pulled in can no longer be reined in. This man, liberated from his demons, doesn't want to go back to the town. He doesn't want to go back to his old life. And when Jesus is about to leave, he asks to go with him, to get away. And no, Jesus tells him, no. Go back home, because it is possible to be someone who can be calm 
even in the face of chaos. And besides, the town needs calm people who can think for themselves, like you are now. I think that followers of Jesus can find calm right now, today. In saying that, I know this is a serious chapter in the life of our country and much is at stake. And I am certain that whatever gets worked out, there will not be a single one of us who is going to be happy with all that is done or what results. I am certain I'm going to get upset about something. I mean, inner calm doesn't mean not caring. And I have no delusions that we're going to find a way to suddenly fix ourselves. Frankly, I think we've grown immature as a nation as our demonizing, polarizing, and truth-twisting ways reveal. But that said, as with the pandemic, I am confident and I am hopeful we are going to get through this. But I have two bits of advice. First, This week, in this moment we're in of heightened emotions, monitor who it is that you listen to. And if that person is screeching, even if you agree with what is being said, find someone else to listen to. Because right now, maybe always, but I know right now we need those who have calm within to speak to the chaos that is around us. And second, Do not wait for the chaos to be calmed in the nation to begin finding order within yourself. Right now, we can center ourselves on God's love. We can remind ourselves the virtues that are supposed to be guiding us in our life. And we can commit ourselves to making a witness without insisting that we have to win to be seen always as right. You know, if you want a lot of attention, if you want uh, uh, to create a lot of buzz, there are easy ways to get attention right now and even praise by adding accelerant to the social fires. But I believe that those who will make the most positive difference in leading communities out of chaos, it will not be the self-serving firebrands, even if they happen to be right about some things. It's going to be those who are calm because of a calm within and who make their efforts not personal or self-serving because they truly are seeking the greater good. It will be, (laughs) I realize how old I'm going to sound in saying this, (laughs) it's going to be the most mature among us. Can that leadership begin with you and me, no matter your age? Can we be a part of the Spirit moving over the face of the deep, bringing order to chaos? Can we show how moral calm can be just as infectious as demonic powers? Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.